This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. This show is brought to you by the Buddhist Youth Association every Sunday, bringing Buddhism to the community of the Waikato. We also give away a range of free English or Chinese Buddhism books, MP3 or tapes on Buddhism. If you'd like one, please send a letter with $3 worth of stamps in an envelope to P.O. Box 82146, Highland Park, Howick, Auckland. Or you can phone 092713377. Buddhist Youth Association, respectful, beneficial, empowering. Hello and thanks for joining the program today. Last week, we finished the program with an extract from an interview between the Buddhist nun Pema Chodron and the activist and author Alice Walker, she of the color purple fame. I'd like to return to that interview because in it, Alice Walker in a way talks about the result of taking Tonglen practice off the meditation cushion and to in, into everyday life. I think this gives quite a lot of insight into what it means to take on suffering and the bravery that might result by doing this practice. But before we continue with that, let's think about motivation as we usually do. We want this radio program to be the most beneficial it can be, so our motivation must reflect that. Therefore, bodhicitta, the wish to attain enlightenment for the benefit of all living beings, should figure in our purpose, for that is obviously hugely helpful to everyone. In fact, it's the most vast motivation we can have, as the object, all living beings, is so vast. Now let's set that as our motivation then, but if it's too great for you, at least think that this program is a cause for your own enlightenment. Thank you. Now turn again to the interview. The Shambhala teacher Archaria Judy Leaf was also there, and she asked Alice Walker how the Tonglen practice affected her approach to activism. And this is what I meant by taking the practice of the meditation cushion out into the world. Alice Walker replies, Well, my activism really is for myself, because I see places in the world where I really feel I should be. If there's something really bad, really evil happening somewhere, then that is where I should be. I need for myself to feel that I have stood there. It feels a lot better than just watching it on television. This is where you bring together your private practice and your public action, asks Judy Leaf. And Alice Walker says, Yes, before I was sort of feeling my way. I went to places like Mississippi and stood with the people and realized the suffering they were experiencing. I shared the danger they put themselves in by demanding their rights. And I felt this incredible opening, a feeling of finally being at home in my world, which was what I needed. I needed to feel I could be at home there and the only way was to actually go and connect with the people. Perma Children swings the conversation then from this full acceptance of suffering to the opposite, a total avoidance of it. That's the really sad thing, she says. The world becomes more and more frightening and you don't want to go out your door. Sure, there's a lot of dangers out there, but the Tong Len approach makes you more open to the fear it evokes in you and your world gets bigger. Judy Leaf then asks what makes the taking on of pain to become positive in Tonglen, as opposed to seeing oneself as a martyr or developing negative mind. I think it's knowing that you're not the only one suffering, says Alice Walker. 
That's just what happens on Earth. There may be other places in the galaxy where people don't suffer, where beings are just fine, where they never get parking tickets even. But what seems to be happening here is just really heavy-duty suffering. I remember years ago, when I was asking myself what was the use of all this suffering, I was reading the Gnostic Gospels, in which Jesus says something that really struck me. He says, basically, learn how to suffer, and you will not suffer. That dovetails with this teaching, which is kind of an acceptance that suffering is in the human condition. Now, just veering away from the interview for a moment, this comment brings to mind something I heard the teacher Ram Das say on one of his videos on YouTube. He postulated that when Jesus was on the cross, his cry, God, why have you forsaken me, meant, Beloved, why have you forsaken me? Beloved here refers to the people crucifying him. Jesus knew that we all contain the divine within us and that we are intricately interconnected with all others. But not recognizing this, we cause the inherent suffering in the human condition. He saw how the ignorance of those nailing him to the cross would prolong their suffering and so cried cried out in his compassion. It's an interesting take on the crucifixion of Jesus and it also reminds me that the crucifixion might be the ultimate Tonglen practice. But Jesus was an exceptional being, and, as Pema Chodron points out, ordinary people often fear the Tonglen practice. I've found that it's less overwhelming if you start with your own experience of suffering and then generalize to all the other people who are feeling what you do, she says. That gives you a way to work with your pain. Instead of feeling like you're increasing your suffering, you're making it meaningful. If you're taught that you should do Tonglen only for other people, That's too big a leap for for most people. But if you start with yourself as the reference point and extend out from that, you find that your compassion becomes much more spontaneous and real. You have less fear of the suffering you perceive in the world, yours and other people's. It's a lot about overcoming the fear of suffering. My experience of working with this practice is that it has brought me a moment-by-moment sense of well-being. That's encouraging to people who are afraid to start the practice, to know that relating directly with your suffering is a doorway to well-being for yourself and others rather than some kind of masochism. And Alice Walker said it's also helpful to see the fault in oneself instead of blaming others all the time. In my life, I can see places where I've not wanted to take my part of the blame, and that's a losing proposition, she says. There's no gain in it because you never learn very much about yourself. You don't all own all the parts. There are places in each of us that are quite scary, but you have to make friends with them. You have to really get to know them, to say, hello, there you are again. It's very helpful to do that. Now this is very much in keeping with Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings, if you remember. He has an extract from his book Anger, in which he talks about using mindfulness to care for those emotions that scare us, like anger, fear and despair. The first function of mindfulness is to recognize, not to fight, he says. Breathing in, I know that anger has manifested in me. Hello, my little anger. And breathing out, I will take good care of you. Once we have recognized our anger, we embrace it. This is the second function of mindfulness, and it's very pleasant practice. Instead of fighting, we're taking good care of our emotion. If you know how to embrace your anger, something will change. It's like cooking potatoes. 
You cover the pot and then the water will begin to boil. You must keep the stove on for at least 20 minutes for the potatoes to cook. Your anger is a kind of potato and you cannot eat a raw potato. Mindfulness is like the fire cooking the potatoes of anger. The first few minutes of recognizing and embracing your anger with tenderness can bring results. You get some relief. Anger is still there, but you do not suffer so much anymore because you know how to take care of your baby. So the third function of mindfulness is soothing, relieving. Anger is there, but is being taken care of. The situation is no longer in chaos with a crying baby left all alone. The mother is there to take care of the baby and the situation is under control. And who is this mother? The mother is the living Buddha, the capacity of being mindful, the capacity of being understanding, loving and caring is the Buddha in us. Every time we are capable of generating mindfulness, it makes the Buddha in us a reality. With the Buddha in you, you have nothing to worry about anymore. Everything will be fine if you know how to keep the Buddha within you alive. It is important to recognize that we always have the Buddha in us. Even if we are angry, unkind or in despair, the Buddha is always within us. This means we always have the potential to be mindful, to be understanding, to be loving. We need to practice mindful breathing or walking in order to touch the Buddha within us. When you touch the seed of mindfulness that lies in your consciousness, the Buddha will manifest in your mind consciousness and embrace your anger. You don't have to worry. Just continue to practice breathing or walking to keep the Buddha alive. Then everything will be fine. The Buddha recognizes. The Buddha embraces. The Buddha relieves. And the Buddha looks deeply into the nature of anger. The Buddha understands. And this understanding will bring about transformation. But then Pema Chodron points out that early on in his teachings, the Buddha pointed out that we all want happiness and freedom from suffering. But through our strong habits and conditioning, we often cause that very suffering we don't want. The methods always end up escalating the pain, she says. For example, someone yells at you and then you yell back, and then they yell back and it gets worse and worse. You think the reason not to yell back is because, you know, good people don't yell back. But the truth is that by not yelling back, you're just getting smart about what's really going to bring you some happiness. The Buddhist mind-training teachings tell us that when we experience misery, we should look within ourselves for the cause. The grasping at an independent, inherently existing self lies at the root of all our problems. But, Judy Leaf says, in the conventional world, there are bad guys and good guys, oppressors and oppressed. How do we then reconcile taking the blame onto the self and fighting what we see as oppression or evil? Does it help to have a sense of enemy in trying to end oppression, asks Pema Chodron. Alice Walker must admit that it doesn't. I think it's probably about seeing, she says. As Bob Marley said so beautifully, the biggest bully you ever did see was once a tiny baby. That's true. I mean, I've tried that on Ronald Reagan. I've even tried that on Richard Nixon, but it didn't really work that well. But really, when you're standing face to face with someone who just told you to go to the back of the bus, or someone who has said that women aren't allowed here, or whatever, what do you do? I don't know what you do, Pema, but at that moment, I always see that they're really miserable people and they need help. But Pema Chodron agrees. 
It's seeing that the cause of someone's aggression is their suffering. And you could also realize that your aggression is not going to help anything. So you're standing there, you're being provoked, you're feeling aggression, and what do you do? That's when Tonglen becomes very helpful. You breathe in and connect with your own aggression with a lot of honesty. You have such a strong recognition in that moment of all the oppressed people who are provoked and feeling like you do. If you just keep doing that, something different might come out of your mouth. War will not be what comes out, says Alice Walker, and Judy Leaf takes the example of Martin Luther King. He had the quality of a Tonglen practitioner, she says, and yet he didn't ask people not to take a stand. Alice Walker remembers that he was from a long line of Baptist preachers and someone able to center himself through prayer and love. I think the person who has a great capacity to love, which often flowers when you can see and feel the suffering of other people, can also strategize, she says. I think he was a great strategist. I think he often got very angry and upset, but at the same time he knew what he was up against. Sometimes he was the only really lucid person in a situation, so he knew how much of the load he was carrying and how much depended on him. As activists, it's really important to have some kind of practice so that when we go out into the world to confront horrible situations, we can do it knowing we're in the right place ourselves, knowing we are not bringing more fuel to the fire, more anger, more despair. It's difficult, but that should not be a deterrent. The more difficult something seems, the more it's possible to give up hope. You approach the situation with a feeling of already having given up hope, but that doesn't stop you. And she recalls the slogan often emphasized by Pema children, give up all hope of achieving anything. Just do it because you're doing it and because it feels like the right thing to do, but without feeling it's necessarily going to change anything, she says. Pema children recalls something Trungpa Rinpoche used to say which she found very helpful. He said to live your life as an experiment so that you're always experimenting. You could experiment with yelling back and see what happens. You could experiment with Tonglen and see how that works. You could see what actually allows some kind of communication to happen. You learn pretty fast what closes down communication and that's the strong sense of enemy. If the other person feels your hatred, then everyone closes down. Alice Walker takes it one step further. I feel that fear is what closes people down more than anything, just being afraid, she says. The times when I've really been afraid to go forward with a relationship or a problem is because there's fear. I think practice of being with your feelings, letting them come up and not trying to push them away is incredibly helpful. And that is the interview between Alice Walker, Pema Children and Judy Leaf. I've included most of it in the program today because we don't often hear about what Tonglen practice means in everyday life, especially in Alice Walker's type kind of activism. It's one thing to sit on the meditation cushion, breathing in and out for others, but quite another when we come up against the sneering face of anger or hatred, or even chronic ignorance. On the Joyous Refuge website, www.joyousrefuge.org, the Soto Zen teacher, Jiko Cheryl Wolfer, makes President George Bush's Vice President, Dick Cheney, her anger practice partner. And that's what she calls him. If you know anything about American politics, you'll know what a hawk Dick Cheney is, how much he controlled the Bush administration for his own ends, 
and what a major force he played in the Iraq conflict and the suffering that marked the Bush presidency. Maybe I just wander around liberal websites too much, but from what I can gather, many Americans find him offensive. And so does Chico Cheryl Wolfer, so much so that she has chosen him to practice Tong Len on. She writes, My main practice partner Dick Cheney has been all over the news lately, providing his fixed view of the world for everyone's benefit. We all have our fixed views. Only some people's fixed views are more influential than those of others. Unfortunately, these days, one's fixed views from several years ago that contradict one's present fixed views can be played back for everyone's benefit as well. All the more reason to practice right speech. But I digress. My main point is that I continue to practice Tonglen with Dick Cheney as one of my focuses, and that I find my reaction to encountering his frown on the Internet has shifted. Whether he cares or not, and I'm sure he doesn't, I find my heart softening towards him. I don't hate Dick Cheney anymore, nor am I even angry with him. I'd like to say I feel sorry for him, but in addition to being condescending, those words don't really describe my feelings. There's a deep sadness in my heart, specifically for him, that then extends to all beings in the hell realms of nationalistic and religious fervor against others. The dangers of those mental afflictions are demonstrated in world events every day. I begin my Tonglen practice with an in-breath focus on the heavy, hot and dark qualities of anger, which has long been a practice point for me. On the out-breath, I try to get in touch with the light, cool, bright quality of compassion. Tonglen is not an easy practice. I often wonder if I'm getting it right, but I have to let go of that thought. As we've discussed in our Wednesday meetings, it's a big change from just sitting to active concentration on a specific practice. And once the Tonglen period is complete, sometimes it's hard to return to the release practice of letting go of thought. For me, the discomfort of not knowing exactly what I'm doing, the experimentation of it, is worth the extra effort. It's easy to become stuck in a rut after many years of meditation practice. Tonglen practice benefits me by lifting me out of my self-centered rut and into the light of the sincere wish to benefit all beings, which never fails to improve the rest of the day. In his book, The Tibetan Book of Living and Dying, Sogyal Rinpoche has an excellent chapter called Compassion, the wish-fulfilling jewel, which aims at the practice of Tonglen. In it he describes something called the preliminary Tonglen practice, which is mainly focused on oneself. Why? He writes, I know from my own experience how hard it is to imagine taking on the suffering of others, and especially of sick and dying people, without first practicing it on yourself. Before you send out love and compassion to others, you uncover, deepen, create and strengthen them in yourself and heal yourself of any reticence or distress or anger or fear that might create an obstacle to practicing Tonglen wholeheartedly. Over the years, a way of teaching Tonglen has developed that many of my students have found very helpful and therapeutic. It has four stages. The best way to do this practice, and any practice of Tonglen, is to begin by evoking and resting in the nature of mind. When you rest in the nature of mind and see all things directly as empty, illusory and dreamlike, you are resting in the state of what is known as ultimate or absolute bodhicitta, the true heart of the enlightened mind. 
the teachings compare absolute bodhicitta to an inexhaustible treasury of generosity, and compassion, when understood in its profoundest sense, is known and seen as the natural radiance of the nature of the mind, the skillful means that rises from the heart of wisdom. Begin by sitting and bringing the mind home. Allow all your thoughts to settle, neither inviting them nor following them. Close your eyes if you wish. When you feel really calm and centered, alert yourself slightly and begin the practice. The first stage he calls environmental tonglen. We all know how the moods and atmospheres of our mind have a great hold on us, he says. Sit with your mind and feel its mood and atmosphere. If you feel your mood is uneasy or the atmosphere is dark, then as you breathe in, mentally absorb whatever is unwholesome. And as you breathe out, mentally give out calm, clarity and joy, so purifying and healing the atmosphere and environment of your mind. This is why I call this first stage of the practice environmental tonglen. Now in the second stage, Rinpoche advises us to divide ourselves into two aspects. The first he describes as whole, compassionate, warm and loving, like a true friend, really willing to be there for you, whatever your faults or shortcomings. And the other, he writes, is the one that has been hurt and feels misunderstood and frustrated, bitter or angry, who might have been, for example, unjustly treated or abused as a child, or has suffered in a relationship or has been wronged by society. He tells us that as we breathe in, to imagine that the first aspect opens out completely to the second, warmly and compassionately accepting and embracing all of the second suffering, negativity and pain. This causes the second aspect's heart to open and all that negativity to melt away. As we breathe out, we imagine all the healing love, warmth, trust, comfort, confidence, happiness and joy of the first aspect is sent out to enclose and comfort the second. Sogya Rinpoche then, at the third stage, which he calls Tonglen in a living situation, invites us to imagine a time we behave badly, one about which you feel guilty, he says, and which at which you wince to even think about. As we breathe in, we take full responsibility for what we did, without trying to justify it. Acknowledge exactly what you've done wrong, and wholeheartedly ask for forgiveness, Rinpoche writes. Now, as you breathe out, Send out reconciliation, forgiveness, healing and understanding. So you breathe in blame and breathe out the undoing of harm. You breathe in responsibility, breathe out healing, forgiveness and reconciliation. He says this particular part of the practice is very powerful and may even result in giving you the courage, strength and willingness to go to someone you have harmed and ask forgiveness from the depths of your heart. The fourth and final stage in this practice is Tonglen for others. Rinpoche writes, Imagine someone to whom you feel very close, particularly someone who is suffering and in pain. As you breathe in, imagine you take in all their suffering and pain with compassion. And as you breathe out, send out your warmth, healing, love, joy and happiness streaming out to them. Now, gradually widen the circle of your compassion to em embrace first other people whom you also feel very close to, then those whom you feel indifferent about, then those you dislike or have difficulty with, then even those you feel are actively monstrous and cruel. 
Allow your compassion to become universal and to fold in its embrace all sentient beings, all beings in fact, without any exception. Those of you who have been with the program for the last few weeks will remember that we described the actual Tonglen practice of breathing in the smoke or tar of suffering and dumping it on the self-cherishing ember at the heart. That flares up and burns up, emitting a great light which becomes the light of our love and compassion, which we send out to the person or persons we are practicing for. This preliminary practice of four stages we've just described, Rinpoche says, will work with our attitude of mind and heart and prepare, open and inspire us for that main practice. And now, just to finish the program today, here's a poem by Kunga Dawa called Medium of the, of the Breath, Tonglen Tango. It goes like this. All right, I'll write, not words reflected on, but starbursts of radiant light from nowhere, the deepest inner space. It's neither here nor there, it's everywhere. It's messenger the bright green hummingbird with scarlet throat, sipping from red geranium flowers, sunlit, shivering warmly in summer breeze outside this cabin on Greenhorn Mountain, as joy percolates, exhales, bubble up, sizzles from fingertips through neurons to blue jays and small lizards. Why, oh why, those tiny ants love to gather and sing songs in the scallop shell I put used tea bags in, and out, out to foxes, chipmunks, bears, turkeys, marmots, deer and chipmunks, all human and non-human beings in Orphan Valley and beyond, New Mexico. Please dance and play guitars, tap feet, strike drums in every pueblo, and share the pulsing rhythm of happiness without reason in bustling cities, Albuquerque, Phoenix, Denver, Chicago, the Angels of California, San Francisco. May this vibrant joy be yours to wiggle your toes and ease your woes that nobody knows this blood's for you. Just give me in return, address unknown return to sender, your skull-cracking anxieties, hypertension, your hot black misery, stomach-cramping hunger, your impotent murderous purple rage, your long-held grievances, irritations beyond the reach of excedrin and valium and extra-strength Tylenol, your headaches, ulcers and joint-twisting arthritic inflammations, your grasping for breath, emphysemia and cancerous agonies of toxic self-hate. Give me your jailhouse blues, head-hanging disappointments and suicide despairs. I drink them in. I take them upon me, your muffled sorrow, nightmare fears, cockroach, tenement, snoop, dog, eat dog, murder, rape, barroom and crack house round and round addictions, korwa, your hunched and stooped depression, salt tears of self-pity and remorse, all the pain of wasted life, twisted limbs, I breathe it in. I draw it in hot and sulfurous through every pore, deep down to the core of my being, there's room for more. And again, I radiate and offer you in the ten directions, cool and blissful, all joy, luminous peace, nothing wanting, like a gentle summer rain that quenches every thirst, and out of nowhere brings an unexpected smile, refreshing breeze of deep contentment, sending and gathering, gathering and sending on the medium of the breath, sending and gathering for all beings everywhere. You can find the poem on the website shambhalatimes.org. But now time is up and we must part. Thanks for being with the program today and please join us again next week. 
As we go, please dedicate any positive potential from the program to the enlightenment of all beings everywhere. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.